Hi, my name is Ryan, and welcome to This Amazing Life, the show that brings you people, topics, and ideas that inspire you to live, love, and lead your own amazing life. I believe that my mission in life is to be a source of light and joy for the world. I hope that our time together can give you a little bit more of both. So thank you so much for tuning in, and welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on? Welcome back to the show. This is going to be episode number 86. In episode number 86, you get to hear from Joy Rosser, who is an educator in the greater Philadelphia area and co-author of the book, Sharing Mindsets, Where Classrooms and Businesses Meet. The book uses insightful conversations with well-known business leaders and outstanding individuals to explore the possibility of expanding one's own potential and subsequently the potential in other people. So some of the things that you're going to get to hear in this episode will include Joy's intro and her extensive background in education, the motivation and vision for creating and producing the book, her perspective on sharing enthusiasm for life in the classroom, in the boardroom, and in the home, the power of believing in someone and how it can shape their journey. That was really strong. And Joy and I will also open up and talk about some of our favorite parts from the three core sections of the book. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, I'm really excited to welcome into the show a new friend of mine, Joy Rosser. Thanks for joining This Amazing Life. Would you like to say hello? Hi, Ryan. Yes, thank you so much for having me today. You're so welcome. So, Joy, can you give the audience a little bit of insight to what your job title is, what keeps you busy day to day, and what you're involved in? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I grew up in in Springfield, which is a, a great little small town outside of the Philadelphia area. And from there, I graduated from Springfield High School and traveled to Texas, which is something I'm very proud of to go to Trinity University in San Antonio. And that brought me way back here to Philadelphia, even though I loved it there. I did return to the to the Northeast region. I think it might have been the cheesesteaks. That's probably was a pretty big draw. <laughs> but uh, cheesesteaks and family, we'll go with that. Um, came back and was fortunate enough to get a job in a school district as a middle school teacher just outside of Philadelphia, Upper Darby School District. And then moving led me to the Kennett Consolidated School District, where I currently teach middle school um, in Chester County. It's a accumulation of 25 years of working with middle school kids, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And I've managed to, um, mostly because out of, I guess, out of my passion and my, my interest for kids and for educators, I've diversified myself to be on several boards. I'm on the state board for Pennsylvania Middle Level, PAMLE, and I'm also the president for the Southeast region of PAMLE, and that covers the five local counties where we live here. Uh, I'm on a, a um, Schools to Watch state team, which is actually something that's national, but it's on. Uh, it's it's something that I'm on for Pennsylvania, where we go around and evaluate middle schools up against a criteria, and we look at how they are promoting uh, student education and how they're uh, developmentally responding to students, and how they're working with social equity and and uh, a few domains for that. So um, that's kind of what I'm doing professionally and. Uh, the book, of course, which I know we're going to talk about, which I'm very excited about. Um, and my personal life is a spouse and three dogs, which I think are mentioned a little bit in the book in the canine climate. And uh, I have two older kids. They're 18 and 20. When I was listening to you describe yourself in 
terms of what you're involved in with education, there are a couple things that really jumped out. One is the word involved, very involved. Another is just passion because you have to be passionate to be that involved in a specific industry, especially education or the service of other people. And the other thing really uh, you highlighted, but people might not have caught is the fact that you're involved in the schools to watch program, which means that you are specifically focused on drawing out a certain level of excellence, maybe not just in yourself or in other people. So 25 years is a long time. Is Did you always feel that education was in your blood or was it inspired or was an event that kind of led you towards this path? I, I think that I've always been inspired to be a, a teacher from maybe elementary school. I had always had that focus. I definitely went uh, off to Trinity University thinking it was going to be a role of maybe teaching in a secondary English classroom. But I quickly rise. I didn't write as well as I thought, which is ironic, is it not? <laughs> but I, uh, so I, I actually shied away from the secondary level and went into middle level or, you know, upper elementary. Um, and in response to your words involved and passionate, I, you know, the, sh- the quickest response and to me the most appropriate would be, I don't know how to live any other way. And I, I love inspiring people to feel that way about their lives. What other way is there to be other than involved in the people around you and your opportunities and then do that with a high level of passion? I think that the theme of what you just said is definitely going to come out of the conversation that we're going to have about the book that you co-wrote with your colleague, Anthony Barber. And it says, sharing mindsets where classrooms and businesses meet establishes a journey from the self to the heart to the hands magnifying one's own potential and subsequently magnifying the potential in others. I thought that was really powerful. And when you originally had the idea for the book, did you know that you wanted to focus on those three core values or did you have to kind of navigate your way a little bit and it took you a little bit of a a journey process? I think originally I saw the book, I envisioned it in, in sets of, of, of three individual codes, if you might want to say it's that character code, so to speak, Um, because I feel that those three things build upon each other. I feel that we're the best in relationships when we are first the best with ourselves. And then we can take our relationships to that extended level, which is beyond us using our hands. And and as you'll, you'll see in the book of Phil Martelli talks about that, the extension of the hand is such a critical piece and not necessarily the physical hand, but that gesture of a hand. So I think I always knew those three things were very critical pieces. And, and yeah, that opening line that you just read, I just think that's so important to, to potentiate the ability within ourselves and other people. We can do both of those things. It, it's really uplifting. I know that I have my own perspective because I really resonate with what you just said. And you said a comment earlier where I describe it as a light switch. Once you have a specific perspective or a certain core value and you know this is the way that things are supposed to be, you can't really turn it off anymore and you can't ignore it. You recognize that teaching was definitely there for you from a very early age. Was this outlook on life or this intensity, enthusiasm, and passion for life also there for you? Or was there a shift that you remember that it really started to come to a more prominent point in your life? I think the passion was always there for my job as an educator. And it it naturally is always there for the kids because 
because you, you can't do the job without the passion for the kids, but it's also for the love of the path of the kids. And I always think that's important as an educator. Just loving kids is one piece of it, but the huge component of it is loving the path and the journey for those kids. And I think I always had that, but in the last maybe, I don't know, I want to say five years, I, I think it became more embellished because I started to realize there was more to what I was doing than the four walls of my classroom. And I got a lot of support from my, my current principal, Lorenzo DeAngelis, um, and just being such an encourager. And by him doing that, it started to make me realize I needed to also be an encourager as well, and not just with my students. And that kind of pushed me out the door, so to speak, to get involved in the boards and to start uh, writing and contributing uh, outside of myself, you know, kind of like that third piece to the book. I had to push myself to do that. So my passion and my involvement were always there, like we talked about earlier, but I think there was a point in my career where um, I think the guidance from him really and the support of people in my life encouraged me to go that direction. Maybe it wasn't even verbally directly said, it was just kind of a subtle encouragement. I think that you could give some really helpful perspective and advice to somebody that is in a similar or a parallel path where they have had a very lengthy and successful career and they feel they have so much knowledge to share. What advice would you give to somebody in terms of sharing that knowledge or even the process of getting ready to start writing a book? You have to be confident and you have to know that you're you're not writing the book to make money. You're writing the book because you have something to share. And getting it from your heart and putting it out there for the hearts of others, that's what it's about. And it's not about how many people are going to love it. It's not about, is it going to make it to the New York Times bestseller list? Or maybe Oprah's going to make it in part of her book club. Um, when, you, when you set those goals so high, I think you become disappointed. And that's not to say goal setting isn't important, but I think you have to be realistic. And I, I wanted to write this book and I really didn't know if anybody would read it. And fortunately, Tony, my co-author, uh, got on board with me and he actually suggested writing a book, but I kind of had already had the idea. So we blended perfectly together in that regard. And, uh, he was a childhood friend. So that made it worth even so much more to me. And I think he would say the same as well, but yeah, I would say to anybody, what you're thinking of doing go and do it because the book talks about life is short. The, the brevity is, is frightening at times. It's very driving to me. The brevity of life is driving. And that's partly why I do the things I do. That's great. The book is an awesome combination and collection of what I would call 21 conversations with different folks and figures within the Philadelphia area, whether they're business leaders, professional athletes, or just outstanding individuals. And some of those people include Douglas Yearly of Toll Brothers, Ed Her of Her Foods, Rakia Reynolds of Sky Blue Media, Pete Soraki of Chickies and Pete's, and Chris Gehenis, or Chris Geisens, excuse me, of Wawa. So, I mean, these are some pretty big names that you were able to, to compile and, and get into the book. Can you talk about what that process was like for you to, to reach out and be bold enough to engage with some of these, these figureheads in the Philadelphia area? <laughs> yes, brave enough was probably a good word there. Um, I think it, it, I had some networking a little bit through just some good friends of my, of my husband's in his uh, company and in his networking. And I started there. And then once I got people to, 
to be as confident in the project as I was, they wanted other people to be on board. So they were more than happy to say, I can send an email to to so-and-so and and suggest to them that they meet with you. Just a quick example, when I met with Chris Geisens, he pulled out quite the list and said, how can I help you? Look at all these people I could put you in touch with. And that's actually how I got in touch with John Leahy uh, from Kind Bars. And uh, ironically, uh, the CEO of Kind Bars, Daniel Lebedsky, went to Trinity where I went. So I felt like I, when I connected with John, I was going to mention that, and that was going to help to deepen my relationship with him in terms of him being interested. Um, but Chris had already told him that he enjoyed the interview and it was fun. And so John told me that when I went up to meet with him. Um, so that's kind of, you know, I think as I started to build a few people, every time I invited someone new, I made a point to say, these people have committed. These people are doing it as well. And, and it was um, revealing to me and, and maybe surprising that they all run in similar circles. And not being in that corporate realm, that was something that I wasn't really aware of. And, and it was nice. It was cool to see that. I think that is uh, really a great example for so many people that if they have a big vision or a big goal, that just by starting to take the action and believing that the process could actually come to fruition and allowing the miracles of life and the positivity and the generosity of people to just open up and to, to serve the needs of the mission that you're trying to create is, is just really powerful. So, so thank you for sharing that. So the book, it really, it breaks down into three core values or three different areas that helps people to be the most effective and efficient and not just empowering themselves, but empowering other people. So could you highlight what those three different core values or bullet points are for uh, the, the readers of the book? Mm-hmm. Sure. So the first section is all about the self. So I think it's described in the book as the inward self journey. And it mainly focuses on that we have to look inside ourselves and be our personal best before we can do anything else. And for some people, um, that's something that they do before they walk out the door for work. Um, But at some point in the day of every day, we have to do something for ourselves. So that inward self journey is the critical first, first piece. The second piece is called the impactful journey of the heart. And that's where we're starting to take our heart and connect with other people. And we build those relationships and those relationships are established on trust and loyalty and, and comfort Um, with everyone, whether you're in a classroom or you're in the corporate world, um, wherever you are, I think those things are really important pieces to building relationships. And the final, the final code, so to speak, is the the outward relational journey. And that's where we're extending our hands and doing service. And that piece, I think, is hard for a lot of people right now in the in the current uh, season that we're in. I'd like to call it a season because it, it will move on. Right. Uh, but the current season that we're in, uh, that seems to be at the forefront. But think about how that's not always at the forefront. We don't hear so much in the news about the giving and the generosity. I think it's going on, but we don't make it as evident as we are now. For me, I, just because it's it's really speaking to me right now, I, I was going to transition into going into each of the three sections. But when you talked about being in the season of service right now and how it's not necessarily the norm, one thing that really jumped out at me that I, I highlighted immediately in the book was referred to as the Philly shrug. And I would say it's not necessarily just a Philly thing, but I would say, unfortunately, it might even be a normal population thing 
that people may have sympathy and empathy towards other people, but they won't go that extra inch or that extra mile or just make that initial conversation with somebody to see how they could actually engage with somebody. And I'm sure you could even speak to that from like a classroom and a teaching perspective, because again, just to remind people like that's, that's what the core focus of the book is. It's that there are these awesome parallels between leaders in business and also, also in education. And these two worlds really aren't that different because at the end of the day, the leaders are impacting whether it's the youth or an employee or, or just a coworker. So can you talk about how, even just for you, how you keep that top of mind that you're really out there to serve the needs of other people, that it's not about you? Mm-hmm. The, yeah, the Philly Strug concept didn't come from Marcus Allen directly, but that was something that he talked about in his chapter. Marcus Allen is the CEO of Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Independence Region, all about being present for kids, obviously, and, and having an open heart for kids. But yeah, that, that Philly shrug concept is kind of like, like you're saying, it's not just Philly, but it's, it's, it's as if you're saying it's not my problem. And I think in some ways in life, we have to say things aren't our problem or else we take on everything and become extremely burdened. And then you can't even, in, our, in, in the book, you can't possibly get through the chapters one through seven in the beginning, right? Because you're taking on all the problems. But I think what you, you can sit back and do is say, what can I do? And not look at the problem so overwhelming and not look at it as if it's something you can't possibly tackle. Because I think we can all do something. And I know in, in Nick Dufresne's chapter with, with Bradford White Water Heaters, he's the former CEO, he, uh, his, his chapter was all about how um, service is currency of the heart. I think that was his opening quote, and I love that quote. Um, but in the chapter, I related it to the classroom and to, to families really as the sign-up genius and how, come on, we got to do more than, than bring in napkins, right? And um, I think that if you've always brought in napkins on the sign of genius and you've always donated napkins to the, to the sports dinner, if you don't donate napkins and you bring cookies instead, someone else can donate napkins. And I think it's a lot of that. You know, it's a lot of um, looking at what can I do differently? Uh, for, for those of you who aren't familiar with the example that Joy is giving, if you can imagine uh, 10, 20, 15 years ago, I mean, I remember going to soccer practice or soccer games and there were f- parents who were bringing the orange slices or the Capri Suns or whatever. <laughs> so so Joy is actually giving the example that now people are actually signing up to give napkins, that they're defaulting to to what's just passable. Mm-hmm. And do you find that you see that in the world of education and in leadership that, that there are people who are doing just enough or is there really this hope or this push to kind of elevate what the bar is? Yeah, I think in every single profession from, you know, whether you're working at McDonald's, Wawa, you're working at a hospital, you're working for a large company, uh, a classroom, anywhere that you're working there are people who are going to do their jobs 110% and there are people who are not. So I think, how do we get those people who are not to do more without being dictative? Because nobody wants to be dictated to and told they have to do more. And oftentimes they might say, well, what's the reward? What am I getting from that? Is it pay or is it extra time off? So I think the huge, I, I think the the huge piece of that, and I think a lot of people in that last section of the book would say, it's the role modeling. 
It's that you have to immerse yourself in that way of thinking and that you have to put yourself out there that you're always doing more and showing that doing more is not something that you're getting paid additional money to do, or maybe you're not receiving any sort of benefit for it, but you're doing for the, you're doing it for the love of living life. And, and I think that that's huge. And we, we forget that sometimes that why can't we just get up and do extra things because we love the fact that we're alive and living and we we're capable of doing so. And it isn't about money and it isn't about a lot of things that I think people think it needs to be about, you know? Um, so that I think, yeah, I think with the sign up genius and that, that whole concept, I think I call that, I, I think I wrote elevate your giving or something in the book or upgrade your giving. And, and that's really what I mean. If you give something different, someone else will then say, Hey, I can just give napkins. And that's a starting point for that person. And that's kind of what, you, those are little things you can do. That is very true. And I guess I should, I should, uh, I should excuse myself because that, that is actually very true that, that people, as long as they're taking some type of a small action step, that, that it's true that we can't be so quick to judge. And, and it's very true that I was a little quick to judge in this hypothetical situation that this person giving the napkins, maybe they could have given a little bit more. <laughs> right, right. But if you've been giving napkins for three years, you need to give more. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. So let's talk about the different sections of the book. So uh, section one is the journey of the self. And there were a couple sections that I highlighted because they really resonated with me. And one is the notion of time and specifically how we really can't waste any of it. In chapter two, it was, it was definitely the example of a teacher talking to or trying to get his kids to relate to the notion of time and how precious their time is. And the other one that really jumped out to me in chapter four was with uh, Rakia Reynolds from Sky Blue Media. And it was the idea of writing your own prescription that you could, in fact, see what the challenges are and you could decide what your own action plan is. Was there uh, any other uh, figure person or uh, was there anyone that you interviewed that really affected you and your perspective uh, from section one of the book? Yes, section. So let me just speak to the two things that you mentioned. The section you're talking about, Ed Hanway, actually, from he's a re, um, former CEO, retired CEO of Cigna. He um, he and I talked about the importance of, you know, the title of the chapter. What do you mean I can't redo the day? Because all the titles in the book are all uh, comical. I tried to make them funny. And they were based on what the, what the uh, contributors had said. Um, but I just, I think we forget when we wake up and I think, I, and I say this in my classroom. Okay, kids, today's May 12th, 2020. You're not going to get May 12th, 2020 back. and if every day we remind ourselves of the brevity of life in that every single day matters, we talk about we have a once in a lifetime chance, but, but to me, every day is once in a lifetime, is it not? When you, look, when you look at what that phrase actually means, we don't get May 12th back. So, so true. Yeah. And that, that's, that's a huge piece of the self that has really nothing to do with the people around you. It has nothing to do with how much money you donate, how many napkins you donate. Like it has everything to do with how you wake up and you face the day and where your perspective is and your mindset. Um, and then the, the second one you mentioned, I love the prescription. Rikia Reynolds talks about, she writes a prescription for herself. We go to doctors to get prescriptions when we're not feeling well. 
why can't we just always have a prescription for ourselves? Uh, for ourselves. And I think that I would say I have one every day. Maybe it's, it certainly isn't one that somebody else would have. And, and I would hope that it doesn't emulate anyone else's because I do think it's something you have to find for yourself and tailor specifically to what drives you, what lights your fire every day, every day. Um, and a couple, so, and to expand on that. So those were the two that you had picked up on. I just, I just have a strong belief and I put this quote on the board for parents at back to school night, prove to your kids that life is worth living for. Ah, uh, that's, that's good. I just, if you want to have great kids, if you want to have great employees, prove to them that, that life is worth living for. That's not to say the same as prove to them that your life is great. I, th- I definitely think there's a difference in, in the way that you present that, but to have enthusiasm from everything from getting your coffee out of the coffee pot in the morning to accomplishing something amazing in the workplace. If, if you just prove that life is worth living for in everything that you do and all of your interactions, I think that that jumpstarts the self and believing that you have value and therefore you can see the value in others. Was there anybody else that you interviewed for section one specifically that you felt had a strong impact, like the engagement or the conversation and the way that they shared their perspective gave you almost like an aha moment. Yeah. The person I would say is, is Pete Soraki from Chickies and Pete's. I actually specifically selected him for the, the chapter. Uh, his chapter is called life's not meeting you halfway, go out and get it. And I grew up, um, you know, in, in an era where Rocky was the big mentality you know, you went to the Rocky movies, Rocky was everybody's idol. Sylvester Stallone was a huge component and still is of the Northeast culture over here. And, and my high school quote in my yearbook was, um, the world's not meeting you halfway. If you want something, you have to go out and get it. That's not the exact word for word, but it's from over the top, which is a Stallone movie. Well, Pete Soraki lives that. He has a really winning attitude. And if you even go to his website, he has the Rocky statue on his website because he's from Philadelphia. But more so than that, he he just lives that mentality of having a mindset that things are possible. And it, in the book, it, it reveals about the crab fries and it, it's pretty interesting and it's very telling. Um, and what isn't in the book about Pete that I loved in our conversation was that Pete was the kid in the classroom barely making it academically. And I always think of him when I teach because I think about the kids that are struggling and the kids that someone else could easily say, don't spend time on that kid. They're not going anywhere. They're not really going to uh, do more than a certain job. And I think of Pete and I think no one gave up on Pete. People in schools believed in him. What you said actually really jumped out at me for something that I wrote down or highlighted from chapter nine was in essence, people who are in a leadership position or a teaching position or just in general. So if, if you're listening to this and you're part of a younger generation, you're just looking at your group of friends. If you see people and you find it easier to identify with and to recognize the value of people who may fit a certain type or bucket, or you just are easier to categorize what they can give you compared to the people that might not look like they can give you the value or they look like they're giving you uh, that 
they might not be able to help you or you just don't identify with them. And, and for me, I, I felt that was very convicting. I use the word convicting because as a fitness instructor, I had to think about, am I engaging with everybody the same way and giving them the same value or, or do I s- subliminally not give people the attention or the respect that I do? And my genuine answer is that I hope that I never do. But the honest answer is maybe there was a time that I said something and didn't realize that like, that I wasn't giving people the, the value that they, that they need. And, and I love what you just said because, because th- those people exist. Those people exist in classrooms, in workplaces, in your community where maybe somebody just needs to give them a chance or just to recognize them. And, and that could light the fire that could change somebody's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and being intentional about that every day. And is that easy? No, it isn't easy. I mean, what are we living for if we're not living for being intentional about interactions with people? And I know that's more of the, of the second section of the book, but I think that you, I, I think that I have a love for interactions and when I go to stores, I I go to, you know, the bank, I make a huge intentional effort to connect with the person and to make them feel valued. And we do that with kids that, that is just an unmatched love in a classroom that that's, that's just it. You don't even know where that's going with kids. And that's, what's so cool about it. I have a number of teachers that are closely tied to me. So what advice would you give to teachers that are struggling with connecting or drawing uh, a child to take responsibility and in making positive change or just highlighting the value that they could add to themselves? I think you just have to, invest, invest, invest. And I think that you have to believe in their path. That's huge. And, you know, and, and Angelo Perryman, I, I love his quote at the beginning of the chapter. He said, trust the process through the eyes of the teacher. And I talked about the Joel Embiid story in that chapter with him, but, but it was Angelo that said, look at, look at things through the eyes of a teacher. And you can build relationships with kids as soon as you know that they are going to be someone. And that, that comes from our own belief. That comes from us thinking that they are going to be someone because you don't truly know, but you have to believe it. You have to believe that they're going to, to become um, whatever it is that they want to be. And it's, it's not really about your expectation. It's not that we do that with as parents, right? I'm thinking about my own kids you can't, you have to believe in them and know that they have value and they're going to become someone, but you can't always say they're going to become the person I want them to become. And there's a huge, huge difference in that. So people going into the profession, yeah, you're, you're going to run up against kids that are, that you'll struggle to connect with, but we run up against adults that we struggle to connect with in, in every business. And you just have to remember to bring your best self and I think you have to let the rest take care of it, care of itself. So everything that we talked about was a lot coming out of section one, which is the journey of the self. Uh, can you share, Joy, a little bit of your perspective and the impact that you received from your conversations with the thought leaders on section two, specifically focused on the heart? Yeah. So in the outward relational journey uh, chapters, wow, they they were really amazing because um I think relationships is just at the heart of so many conversations. I mean, I, I, I know that that giving is as well right now, but relationships just seems to come up all the time in conversations 
uh, with people and in different articles and, and everywhere really that we're looking anymore. It's about building relationships. Um, Angelo Perryman, who I had mentioned earlier, who talked about trust the process. One of the reasons I selected him for this is because when I read an article about an interview he had done, he said that everyone at his company, which is Perryman Construction in Philadelphia, deserved a chance. And I loved that, that he took in everyone that deserved a chance. And I know that for him, that was very risk-taking. And I think that that has really built his company up to be um, a company where people are truly invested to be there because they felt loved. They felt loved by Angelo to work for that company and, and to be um, given the chance to make more of themselves and, and to, to, to kind of write their own story. And Marcus Allen also, um, I really enjoyed uh, meeting with him. He talked about opening up your heart for kids. And I had mentioned that earlier um, in the interview as well. But he definitely is someone who I think just is the epitome of building relationships with adults and also with kids. I think Chris Geisens at Wawa. And now I, mm, this is kind of an East Coast thing. I know Wawa. Uh, but I, but I know it has expanded. So hopefully most people know about Wawa, but I, I think it's funny when I've talked about it in different circles, people say, what is a Wawa? Uh, which always makes <laughs> sure. me laugh, right? Well, go um, ahead, go ahead and explain what it, what Wawa is to, to people and in, in the chance that they might not know what it is. So Wawa is like your home away from home convenience store. That's how I would describe it because um, it's not just going in and getting a uh, fountain soda or a sandwich or get your, your milk and bread uh, and definitely your coffee. It's an experience. And it's a place where every time you go in, people hold the door for you. You feel like everybody loves you there. And there's you're getting your, your coffee maybe standing next to somebody who is a trash collector or you're standing next to a doctor or you're standing next to an author or or maybe a teacher. If there's just all walks of life that go in the Wawa and everybody blends. And I love that community feeling of a Wawa. And I don't know why that happens there, except Chris uh, Geisens would say that they serve there to make people's lives better. I would think that you actually could relate to that more than you may realize, because uh, I think that's probably what you hope is happening in the classroom, that as long as there is the intention that this is the feeling or there is the 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 intention that kids will feel equal doesn't matter where they're coming from what their parents situation looks like but but that maybe 5 10 15 years from now kids that were in your class they they think and you know man in in my class with with Mrs. Rosser like that it it made such a difference and and I didn't understand why and, until now sure hopefully hope Hopefully that feels, it makes you feel a, a little bit. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I do often say to the kids, and if you ask my students this year, they would say, I said this a number of times in our short school year, what are we here for if not to make lives easier for others? And, and that even means when you go out to dinner, why don't you kind of stack the dishes when the waitress comes? And so her life's a little bit easier. And it's just the little things we can do to make lives easier. And when I'm having a rough day with the kids, I'll have to stop sometimes and say, are you guys making my day very easy? And they'll say, no, they're not. <laughs> but um, they, they, I think, caught on to the idea 
of, of ways we can make people's lives easier, doing things before we're asked as kids in a household or in the cafeteria, throwing our lunch out before we're asked to. Little things like that are really, really important. In section three, which is all about the journey of the hands or what I would describe as outward service or outreach towards the community, you you started off the section with one of my favorite quotes, which is by Mahama Gandhi, which is, in order to find yourself, you must lose yourself in the service of others. Uh, can you talk about the quote and how uh, is if that was the core focus of of just trying to get people to engage more beyond what they can see? in front of them and, and actually look at the different opportunities that exist either at the workplace or in the classroom or at home. Yeah. I think that we need to remember that service of others is not always equivocated with money. So sometimes when we think of people serving, it's people that have money and they're donating. And I really tried in those, uh, the series of those chapters to get people to speak to what does it mean, the service of others, when we can look at it from an angle that's not monetary? Um, so, you know, for example, um, John Leahy at Kind, I specifically selected him for the chapter um, that's titled, What if you were paid to sell the greatness of your workplace? Would you be a millionaire? So that whole concept of serving your company by promoting it is, is huge. Think about how... We, it, maybe it comes back to money. Okay, so you're promoting your company and then it's making money. But certainly that's not true for schools. We promote our schools not for money. We promote our schools for the love of our community. So the service we do doesn't need to be focused on uh, the idea of just serving for a tangible purpose, if I'm being clear with that. I, a lot of times the serving that we do is just a way that we bring others up. Sure. Uh, coming from a faith-based background in the church community that I was in, they would always say that you can always give of your time, your talents, or your treasure, but but really just kind of whatever is at your means. I mean, sometimes people are in a position where they can give the money, and some people, they can go out and actually take action or or just, I mean, as simple as making the phone call and just, just remembering that the other person is is the core focus of what it is that you're trying to accomplish and not necessarily the means through which it's happening. Right. Right. And I, I think that, you know, the last chapter with Andy Stein, who was a teacher at Twin Valley, um, he talked about making an instant legacy with people. And the, the way we interact with people is something that can really spark, spark kind of like maybe a level of enthusiasm in other people that you didn't even know you were doing. And that can even come as a smile. When you smile at the clerk at the counter, right? And then you walk out and maybe directly that person wasn't, wasn't responding to you with a smile, but maybe the next person in line, they were a little bit kinder. And so sometimes the, the service is, it's unknown. And that kind of goes back to that trust the process piece. You can't serve always looking for a response. You have to serve because you know that um, it, it's for the good. It's part of your living right? It's part of what you're doing and, and what are we living for, you know, to go back to when we talked about that earlier. Um, I also, I love, um, I love Nick Bear talking about um, his creativity at Saxby's and how he has people that want to work there and they choose Saxby's. 
And in that chapter, we talked about what if people could choose their classrooms? You know, would they choose your classroom? What if, what if everybody got to choose what company they worked for? Would they choose your company? And, and you have to sit and evaluate and say, what am I doing to make my company, my workplace, my classroom, a place where it would be chosen? And that's a service in, in a lot of ways because you're getting people to want to give of themselves. So I think service has to be looked at from a, a lot of different angles. There's so much knowledge and insight that you got from all of your interviews and the people that you met with. Was there a core value or a mindset that you felt that you were drawn to more before the book actually came to fruition? Or was there one where you realized that, oh, I, I didn't realize that I, I did put more emphasis here and maybe I want to put a little bit more emphasis in a different area? Or do you feel that they're all equal? I do feel it. they're all equal. I was really... Um, pleased. I think Tony and I did a really good job blending the contributors to the messages, which was a critical piece that he took on. Um, and I, I feel as though the book is pretty balanced and I wanted the book to be balanced because we have to be balanced with those three things. And those three, three things are very important. Um, equally at times and, and at other times, not equally, but to not have one of them or to not realize that the self is important in, for building relationships. That's where we can start to kind of fall through the cracks. Sure. Going through different seasons. And if right. one season has a high, then maybe redirecting the energy. So that way you can try to redirect a little bit more balance and intentionality in everything that you're doing. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely got a lot out of the book and I hope that all the readers get a lot out of the book too. Was there anything else that you wanted to offer up to the readers before we close up our conversation? Um, I just, I, I want to emphasize the importance of something we do at our school is we, we, read a, we read a quote and one of the lines of the quote at our faculty meeting is, I am the decisive element in the classroom. Whenever mm. we read that, I always think about, we're really the decisive element every day in everything that we do. And we choose whether to attend to situations or not attend to them. We choose to carry burdens or not carry them. We choose how we color things um, in our minds and how much weight we give to problems. Um, how we see problems as challenges or do we see them as opportunities? So much of that is about our perspective. And so much of that is about, you know, look when an event occurs, to be able to look at it and say, it happened this way, but it didn't happen that way. And to be very relative about it, I think I think relatively a lot. And I, and I think that, that that comes out in the book, in, in the many, many things that the contributors talked about, the importance of embracing yourself, your relationships, and, and your service in any way possible um, by keeping that healthy mindset and a healthy perspective. And, and like I said, showing people that life is worth living for, it's, it's a great narrative. We're writing a narrative every day. I, I think of life like that. I wrote a book, but I, I feel like life is its own narrative. And um, we, need, we need to look at how we're writing it for others and how are we modeling for others that it needs to be written with our values, leading with our values. I think that's very powerfully said. So thank you so much for sharing all of your insight, uh, for, for being bold enough again to have the vision, to write the book, to actually 
go through the process to collect all the information and compile in a way that can help not just people in the classroom or people in the boardroom, but just individuals who are looking for what you have very candidly said a number of times, that passion and the enthusiasm for the best life for themselves and for other people. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. If anybody's interested in connecting with you, is there a preferred way that you'd like them to reach out to you? Sure. I have a a Twitter, uh, which I'm getting better at. (laughs) It's uh, joy underscore Rosser. And um, I also have an email, jrosser at kcsd.org. That's Kennett Consolidated School District.org. And and, and the book is Roman and Littlefield. I think it's also on Amazon. So it's accessible. People are good at Googling now. I think they can just figure that out, right? <laughs> sure, of course. <laughs> yes, but um, I'm, I'm excited about the, the tentacles of the book. And, and again, loving the unknown. I have no idea who's bought it and who hasn't. And I have no idea um, who it's reaching. But I kind of, I love that enigma about it. And I appreciate that you took the time to, to speak with me and, and to highlight the book and the things that, it's, um, that it has said for you or the way that it has spoken to you, the, the advice and the anecdotes. And, um, and thank you for that. I really do appreciate you're that. You're very Ryan. welcome. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you so much again for being on the show. Sure. Well, there you go. That was my conversation with Joy Rosser, co-author of the book, Sharing Mindsets Where Classrooms and Businesses Meet. There was a lot that I took away from the conversation. I hope that you got some good value and insight from her perspective as well. And if you're interested, I will leave her contact information that she mentioned in the show in the show notes. And also, if you are interested, please consider supporting her and the book and purchasing the book wherever you would like to get a copy, whether it's digitally or a hard copy actually in your hands. As always, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show. Uh, These interviews have been really exciting and more and more are coming on the way. So stay tuned. Mondays will continue to be the intention of the week, and then Thursdays will be the interview episodes. If you would please consider subscribing, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and also, even more importantly, sharing your favorite episode with a friend. That would mean a lot. Right now, I'm really trying to focus on growing the show, so if you can help me grow our community, that would just really mean a lot, and that would make a big difference. And lastly, if you are interested, if you're on Instagram, you can always check back to my Instagram page. Almost every day I'm putting out content relating to what the intention of the week is and how I am, how I'm personally applying the intention of the week to what is going on or coming up for me that day. Well, that's just about it. So I will let you go. I hope you enjoy the rest of what I'm sure is going to be an amazing and amazing day. Have a great time and I will talk to you soon. See you later.